This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. And welcome everybody to a special episode of the Animaniacast. State your name. Skippy Squirrel. Occupation. Uh, I'm a squirrel. Ooh, riveting questioning, don't you think? And welcome once again to the Animated Cast. We are the only podcast out there that's dedicated to the animated television series, Animaniacs. And today we have a very special episode. We have an interview and discussion with the man, the myth, the writer, John P. McCann. I am Joey, and joining me once again is my brother Nathan. Taboo! And across the country in Georgia, it's Kelly. Hi there. And our special guest here with us as well. Ladies and gentlemen, you know him from Animaniacs, from Freakazoid, and of course from his numerous other writings on television and now books as well. It's Mr. John P. McCann. John, welcome. Hello. (laughs) Thank you so much for being on the show. It's quite an honor. You are the writer of many of our favorite episodes of Animaniacs, and uh, we can't wait to discuss them with you. Thanks thanks so much for being on. Oh, great to be here. All right. Well, today we're going to talk with John about his work on Animaniacs, how he got involved in the show, then also getting into a little bit of Freakazoid talk, and then moving on to, gosh, just pretty much everything else that we can talk to before John hangs up on us. So... <laughs> I think we better get right into it. Um, John, how in the world did you first get started uh, working on the show Animaniacs? Glad to tell you. Um, My answers seem a little clipped. It's because I have a note in front of me. It says, no uhs, ums, you knows. (laughs) I do avoid that. Well, we don't follow that rule. Oh, uh, I do. Um, I try. Like, all the time. I don't know. Speak for yourself, Joey. Well, I might feel better. Um, <laughs> but I was I was working as an editor at a magazine, and at night I was doing improv comedy with uh, the Acme Comedy Theater Group, which was founded and directed by Sherry Stoner's husband. And I'd known Sherry and her husband, Mark Sweeney, for uh, years. We met in uh, another improv group. So they they got me aboard on uh, Tiny Toons. There was going to be a spinoff of uh, Elmira that Sherry was going to produce. And uh, they brought brought in uh, Peter Hastings, myself, Deanna Oliver, and then Nick Hollander was already on staff, and they had him in. He was going to be one of the writers working on that. So it ended up it ended up never happening, but they kept me in mind. And when Animaniacs was ready to go, they uh, gave me a script, uh, an idea for one called uh, about Dracula. And so they just wanted to see how we do. And uh, Paul Rugg at the time got, I think he got Beethoven. So we went off, uh, wrote those, and we figured, well, look, there's Christmas money for a couple of broke guys. 
we were having a good time. And then they called up and said, why don't you uh, come on in? We'd like to talk to you about being staff writers. So we tried to be cool. And then we hung up and we giggled like girls. And then uh, eventually that was it. We ended up working there. John, you know, I had a question about that initial Tiny Toons entrance. Was that the Take Elmira, Please episode of Tiny Toon Adventures? Yes, that's what it uh, that's what it eventually became. Ah, okay. Because I remember that as one of my favorite episodes of Tiny Toons. Surprised that didn't uh, end up becoming its own series. Of course, it did later become Pinky El. Sort of. I mean, there was a Pinky Elmira and the Brain show, so it kind of came to be in a sort of way, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. It eventually got its moment. I guess. I guess that uh, Elmira had been in an episode with Montana Max, and however they measure these things, it had uh, she had scored very well. Uh, kids really had liked the character then, so they thought they'd run with that and make it more of a see what see what her own show would look like. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, we certainly loved her. I mean, she was on the Animaniacs even a few times as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, she was definitely a popular character from my childhood. I remember it reminded me of our sister quite a bit, actually. How? <laughs> but that's another story. Welcome to the Elmira Fun Show. I'm Elmira, and this is fun. Elmira. One more question, I guess, about that. Uh, take Elmira, please. I'm not quite sure, but was that the first time we saw Mr. Skullhead appear? And did you have anything to do with that? Or was that more Sherry Stoner? Or how, how, how did Mr. Skullhead come to be? That was more Sherry. Uh, Sherry was, a, uh, you know, when I said, you know, okay. <laughs> yeah, Sherry, <laughs> Sherry uh, was an artist and she would uh, draw these little freehand characters and Mr. Skullhead was one of the things she came up with and uh, I'm sure she just decided it would be a fun thing to pop in there and see she didn't know it would have a life of its own (laughs) and now a very special guest on the Elmira Fun Show it's Mr. Skullhead so when it comes into Dracula, Dracula, uh, there was a, I think a story that we had heard previously with Paul Rugg. Were, were both of you uh, basically applying for Animaniacs at the same time? Yeah, I mean we were we were in the same cast, and they assigned us our scripts on the same day and gave us the same deadline. So we, we went off and we'd be talking to each other and, uh, see how we did. And we turned them in and he didn't have a car at the time. His wife took it to work. So, uh, I drove him in when we dropped off our scripts and then we rented a bunch of uh, monster movies and, uh, we're watching them. And they called us that afternoon and said, uh, we might, be interested in you guys. <laughs> so that was a big. That was a big deal. Yes. Mm. Was there ever talk as if one of you got the job and the other one didn't? Was there some competition or, you know, anything like that between the two of you? No, because we ni- neither of us even considered that. We just thought, wow. Well, we sold a script. 
here's a little Christmas money. And then it, it ended up, you know, taken off. Did, uh, did they give you like, what, what, what was the character sheets like or things like, like I know in that episode, like Wacko's like eating everything. And so I'm just wondering how much information they give you about each of the characters before they tell you to write a script for them. They gave us uh, the show Bible. Uh, we put that, how do Payton found an old copy of it from I think fall of 91. That might've been the final show Bible. So we got that and we got a couple of model sheets of, of the characters and they just said, you know, go through the Bible and then call out whatever you want, because we don't know what works yet. No one did. So <laughs> they, they, they had no idea. So they, but they had a ton of, they had a ton of, uh, character quirks and aspects and what have you. So we just grabbed what we like and, and put them in there. My, my model, I guess the thing I was thinking of at the time was I was thinking of the old Looney Tunes, uh, which were just loaded with action. And so uh, just said, you know, put them in there and we'll have three Bugs Bunnies instead of one and <laughs> see what that does to Dracula. <laughs> That guy sure dresses funny. This is Pennsylvania, Wacko. He's probably Amish. I'll handle him. I saw witness twice. <laughs> Greetings, good Amish farmer. How's it going with thee? Is there a place hither where we may sleep, Jan? Impudent child, you can't make a fool out of me. Well, you can't blame a guy for trying. Before we go much further, I think, into our discussion right here with with you, John, I think we have to play our lovely game here of This is Your Wikipedia Page. So <laughs> let's, let's go ahead and go over the intro right here that is stated as fact for all the internet to see of, uh, of who, who, sir, you are, who you think you are. Okay, here we go. It says, John P. McCann is an American-born writer, actor, and producer who has mostly focused on writing slash producing animation and family-friendly scripts in the past. He is best known for his work on television cartoons, for which he has received numerous awards. But he has also produced live-action screenplays and television scripts. At present, McCann is also working on short stories and a novella. His fiction tends to be either darkly humorous or horror-related. How correct is this, and is there anything we, we uh, should add out there for, well, not us, but someone should add to the Wikipedia here for your initial description, sir? Well, that's, that's not too bad. I think my wife wrote that. <laughs> An excellent job. That's right. Have to thank, her. <laughs> thank her when she gets home. I think she wrote Ruger's, too. But, oh, really? Uh, <laughs> She's written some of, uh, I think, the beginning or uh, ending notes of uh, your books as well, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yeah, she's you. she was a production manager when we met on uh, magazines. and She has a wealth of skills from proofreading to, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, managing the uh, content of a book and the layout for it. So she's invaluable. 
<laughs> I'd marry her again. Oh, that's that good. <laughs> she pays me a fortune. <laughs> you have to pay for all that stuff otherwise. <laughs> well, Nathan Kelly, I think we should we should ask John about some of our there, there's so many episodes here of of Animaniacs that of course John was involved in. Uh, I'm just going to go over a, a, you know those relatively quickly here. So when it comes to the Warners, John wrote the following Animaniacs episodes: Space Probed, Meatballs or Consequences, Plane Pals, Moby or Not Moby, Dracula, Dracula, Hot Bothered and Bedeviled, Baghdad Cafe. Boot camping from Burbank with Love and Magic Time. When it comes to Slappy Squirrel, there was Hooray for Slappy and Justice for Slappy, Frontier Slappy, Woodstock Slappy, Scare Happy Slappy, No Face Like Home. And uh, then, of course, we had other uh, selections as well. We had uh, some uh, Rita and Runt cartoons. There was Franken Runt and No Place Like Homeless. Uh, there was Witch One which was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, kind of a Beauty and the Beast-ish parody. Um, there there also, of course, were some uh, songs as well. You and Me, Panama Canal, The Ballad of Magellan, Here Comes Attila, Mindy and Buttons cartoons, uh, In the Garden of Mindy, and The Mindy 500. And there was even a, a few bird-based episodes as well. We have Dodo Boys and General Beauregard. And I think that's all of them, but my goodness, there's so many. Uh, Nathan, Kelly, which one would you like to ask uh, John about here? The Meatballs or Consequences is one that was on all of our top uh, segments of season one. I, I, definitely within the top five of all of ours. So I, I, I just wanted to comment that. I don't know what. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what were your recollections right there or inspirations when it came to an episode like Meatballs or Consequences? Well, I, I thought, you know, children just love the seventh seal. So I just <laughs> wanted to capitalize on that. Yeah. Uh, originally, it was called Death or Consequences, but for one of the rare times, the studio got a little edgy about that and said it had to be changed. I think Tom changed it to Meatballs. Hmm. But other than that, I, I really enjoyed writing that one. It was a lot of fun. Speaking of you know the you know the seventh seal and things like that, I mean, it, it goes. This is the writers have talked about this quite often. When it came to writing episodes of Animaniacs in general, it doesn't seem like they, there was any uh, regulations on what you could or could not write. Uh, why do you think that was? It seems like the writers just kind of wrote about what they thought would be funny. That was pretty much it because Tom even said at the time that they didn't know how these characters would play out. I mean, you have an idea, you write a show Bible, you, you know, you have model sheets, you think, you know, sort of what it's going to be like, but it plays out differently when you start to actually write them and then try and incorporate all this stuff because new things generally come out. So at the time he didn't, there was really nobody to say, you know, what an episode was like. We just based it on whether it was, you know, People liked it, uh, thought it's funny, might work out pretty well. So there really was no sort of set Animaniacs uh, template at that time. Is that the case to this day, or is it much more restrictive with uh, studios uh, when it comes to television writing? Yeah, it. 
uh, Animaniacs was truly, truly rare. Uh, it was sort of like having your dessert first. I think I spent the rest of my career looking for Animaniacs to happen again, or, <laughs> you know, Warners of the Warners of the nineties. But no, they're much more uh, regimented, and uh, you have so much more oversight than we did. We mm-hmm. we had Tom basically, mm-hmm. and then we had Gene McCurdy in charge, and her her view was to leave the producers alone, Tom. Alan Burnett, Bruce Tim, uh, who was doing uh, whoever was doing Tasmania, um, you know, just leave them alone, let them do it, uh, as long as they're not, you know, doing anything too crazy, and you know, uh, let them let them drive, and she would oversee. And so I don't think you have that anymore. You have an awful lot of uh, middle management. Mm, I see. Uh, Kelly, is there an episode that you'd like to ask uh, John about here? Well, we we also all loved Woodstock Slappy. So what <laughs> sort of planning or, or thoughts went into to making that? I mean, obviously, it, it was hugely inspired by, um, was it Abbott and Costello and that routine, who's on first? But um, uh, I guess where did the idea come from to, to set it in Woodstock and, you know, have that uh, conversation between slappy and and the musicians on stage and everything well much much as i'd like to take credit i think i believe it was tom who came up with uh, i think he came up with the idea originally for woodstock slappy and then that that um uh, who's on first was tom's uh i'll take credit for it but, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> please do he's not here so yeah, he was the one who actually uh, uh, came up with that. Uh, I believe that uh, Country Joe McDonald, who uh, was at Woodstock, and I think we parodied one of his songs, he called up, he was very irate, he called up uh, Warner Brothers, uh, threatening legal action, I think, at one point. But uh, I think it all, you know, I think it all passed over. His contribution to Woodstock was the, it was something called the fixin' to die rag. Uh, one, oh, two, three, what are we yes. taking for? I don't get darn. Next stop is Vietnam. So <laughs> that, that was, that was his. And I think there was some parody of that in there. Speaking of that, uh, John, did you, did you serve in Vietnam? Were you with, were you in the military? I was in the military uh, toward the end of the war, but I was not in country. Uh, at see. that time, I, I was I was in I was in the Pacific, but I was not uh, was not sent down there. Well, either way, we thank you very much for your service, sir. I mean, it's mm. not to be dismissed, certainly. Um, so, thank you for oh, that. Appreciate but, that. Uh, well, not not a problem whatsoever. Uh, Tom did also say that he, I believe, when it came to that Woodstock Slappy episode, when uh, Tom Ruger was on our show previously, he said that the first pass of the who's on stage bit that you gave him, he asked you to, it was way too short that you needed it to have it go longer and longer. Do you have any recollections of that? No, he, uh, that, that could well have been the way it, the way it <laughs> went. Um, but yeah, I don't, uh, I don't remember. I remember that, uh, pretty much he, he took that over and brought that, brought that one home. Mm-hmm. As long as we're on the topic of Slappy Squirrel, though, you did write quite a few of the some of the best 
uh, Skippy and Slappy cartoons uh, on Animaniacs. And on the DVD uh, making of for Animaniacs, you did talk a little bit about how Sherry Stoner attributed uh, the character of Slappy Squirrel to you. Can you go into uh, exactly how that character came to be and how, I don't know, your conversations with Sherry influenced that character? Well, I, I used to, you know, we used to hang out and I would, I would kid her. She was acting a lot back in the, uh, back in the eighties. And she invariably would end up getting these roles where she was either an ingenue or a young teen or somebody who ends up getting killed by the serial killer, you know, all these movies of the week and things like that. <laughs> so I, I used to kid her. I said, she'd be uh, 75 years old and she'd still be the ingenue getting killed because she did it so well and you know it started playing around with the voices you know ah what do you guys know you know and, uh, you know she had a lot of fun with that and uh she'd be you know old and wrinkled but still trying to wear lingerie so a serial killer could get her uh, <laughs> you know we just we had we had a blast but yeah she was uh but she was great and then she made that she made that into slappy squirrel uh so john what so who are you who are some of your biggest influences when it comes to writing and or comedy in general? Uh we were at least for Animaniacs, we were really influenced by um uh, well the original Warner Brothers and then the Marx Brothers were just a huge influence on us because we knew we'd be dealing with three characters. Uh Paul Paul Rugg and I loved uh, Monty Python. So we would uh you know just love their absurdist sense of humor we were also both big fans of uh, guys like jonathan winters um so we just drew off uh, uh drew off those guys to you know and try to bring that sort of uh spirit into our work <laughs> blowski here You little goons have been bothering me ever since I sat down. Do you know who I am? No. Do you know who I am? No. Then we're even. All we know is that we like you. We have no taste, but we like you. And therefore, on behalf of the Warner Brothers... And the Warner Sister... I want to make you our special friend. What was your favorite (laughs) and your least favorite episode to work on? Oh boy! Oh, there were a lot of favorites. Uh, uh, you know, I like Meatballs or Consequences. Uh, I really like Spellbound, which was the Pinky of the Brain, the first yeah. half hour. Uh, yeah, it's, I, I, I wonder if that was like kind of uh, almost shot off for their own series kind of thing. Like it showed that they could handle a, a whole episode on their own. It was almost yeah, a pilot. I think it's a- <laughs> Yeah, in a way, I think at the time it was just going to be a short, but uh, I think we were in a situation where we needed we needed script ammo for the artists, and Tom said, just make it a half hour, and so we expanded it out, and you know, really had a good time doing that. Uh, I like the songs, too, because my cousin used to teach uh, middle school, and since the songs were generally, there was a lot of fact in them, she was able to use them as a teaching aid. And then at the end, say my cousin wrote those. <laughs> but did did you have to? Did you already like know these 
things uh or did you like have to research those songs uh I, i'm just wondering like how much you knew about like uh magellan before you started writing the song for him and stuff like that i knew he got killed in the philippines but uh i do know the rest but he really did lose three ships uh, he did mm-hmm. keep landing everywhere but but the east indies <laughs> he was a. Uh, uh, he was out there a long time, and uh, it was a sad payoff for all that effort. But uh, <laughs> the, the song, the song was, uh, you know, the song was true, true to its mark. There once was a man, his name was Magellan, a Portuguese skipper. The girls found him cute. He sailed with five ships to find the East Indies, then come back to Spain with a bounty of loot. Wubitayayo, oh happy Magellan, starting your journey with hardly a care. Wubitayayo, strong brave Magellan, you'll find the East Indies, you just don't know where. And then I, I knew that there was a Panama Canal. Or, you know, how many there were. So I had to research that. And then the UN, actually, that song came out of uh, our trip to New York for the uh, Peabody Award. And I think it was Paul and Tom Minton and a, a few of us went, went for a tour of the United Nations. And they actually had a pencil holder shaped like a bag. And it said, I had a bag of fun at the United Nations. <laughs> there's got to be, there's got to be more life to that than just to end as a pencil holder. So I ended up incorporating that. Oh. You and me, we had a bag of fun down by the East Riverside. That United Nations there drives away a fella's cares. 183 countries meet down by the East Riverside, New York off 42nd Street. Well, now we finally know what that bag is all about. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to vouch for, yes, using the songs of Animaniacs, uh, such as yours, uh, in the classroom are quite effective. I did quite a bit when I was uh, uh, teaching geography to my, my own middle school students uh, in the past. I've, I've done that because, of course, I didn't, couldn't say, you know, I know this is my cousin, but... This is a show I, I used to watch when I was a kid. <laughs> and they would listen and laugh all over again. And it's very, quite rewarding right there. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad it's, it's still got some legs. If one thing is true about the show Animaniacs, it absolutely has legs. And the kids are still coming up and uh, when they see stuff on my desk at, at the school, and they'll say, oh, it's Animaniacs, or that's Pinky in the Brain. And, and they'll talk to me about different episodes that they've seen and that they remember. And it's, uh, it's just amazing. The, the episodes that you helped write and, uh, and, the sh- and produce in the show, it's, it must, must feel fantastic to just know that it continues to live on and uh, entertain people to this day. It is, because at the time you don't, or I didn't think of it that much. I thought, this is a really fun show and they're paying me. And so the idea that it, it would have a life or that it would live on or that it would have an effect, it didn't, it, I didn't think of it, but uh, it's, it's just amazing. I, I am glad to see that, that people get a kick out of it. It's strange. People I met as fans over the years who were just 
teenagers at the time. Some of them are now married. Uh, they have families. I've sort of grown up with them or grown older with them in any case, <laughs> because the internet was just beginning then. So in a strange way, we, uh, we kind of got a fan base right from the get go that then grew with the technology. So it is a, you know, it's a great feeling to, to know that people enjoy it. <laughs> that old squirrel will think I'm just a big woodpecker. I'll chop down this here tree right in front of her. Ah, uh, there's no rest for the elderly. Hey, are you Daniel Boone? Shoot, no, I'm a big woodpecker. Get out of here with that woodpecker thing there. You're Boone. No, I ain't. My daddy was a big woodpecker and his daddy before him. Can't you see how I'm a pecking at your tree for bugs and such? John, I have a, I have a question. Are, are there any characters you wish that got more screen time? Absolutely. <laughs> Toby Danger. <laughs> oh, Toby Danger. <laughs> okay, now I remember Toby Danger. Now we're talking about Freakazoid, right? Uh, no, it wasn't uh, he was Animaniacs, I think. Toby he? Danger? No, I, I'm going to have to remember. Toby. Oh, that was, that was, that was Freakazoid. <laughs> okay, I was like, <laughs> I was, <laughs> I'm having a senior moment. <laughs> well, I agree, though, that Toby Danger, though, uh, let's, let's go into a quick side talk about Freakazoid for a second, because I was just re-watching the first season of Freakazoid with my wife, and the episode with Toby Danger did come up, and this was a parody of uh, Johnny Quest, I believe, correct? Yeah, yeah, yes, definitely. Uh, spot, spot on. I mean, Minton, Tom Minton, and his crew were just astounding in that. They really nailed it. Uh, the opening and some of the scenes and that sort of, uh, you know, blissful disregard for reality. It was very, it was very well done. I don't get it, Doc. This new security system of yours is still untested. Yes, but it's all we've got. I predict this hotel will be Dr. Sin's next target. Up! How in blazes do you know that? Because every other place is burned to the ground. I often describe Freakazoid as being ahead of its time. That right there is very much ahead of its time. Like, I, it was... It was so weird that as a kid, I remember watching Toby Danger and kind of scratching my head as going, I th this is funny, but I don't quite get it. And now when you watch things like on Adult Swim, that entire, I mean, the Adult Swim lineup of comedy is based upon, this is so weird, but it's funny. And I think things like Toby Danger really kind of fit into that category of, this is very weird, but it's it's very, very funny at the same time. So, uh, yeah, Toby Danger. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like that Venture Brothers is just basically that whole idea just taken to, you know, yeah, <laughs> expanded you're, about. You're right. you know? As far as Animaniacs, anyway, uh, I, I remember early on we had a meeting with, with Steven Spielberg, and there was a there was a thought that the real the first breakout characters were going to be the hip hippos. <laughs> and huh. I mean, you know, that's like saying there's, there's, you know, no, no, no doubt in my mind that, uh, <clears throat> you know, the Cubs will never win the World Series. It just, it was just, 
was just something that he thought would he thought was visually interesting and that they were these kind of quirky, funny characters with Portuguese accents. And they they just vanished into the into the air. They just never you know, they never never got any traction. So Yeah. So I, just, I always I I always thought that was funny. Don't uh, you know this is a big this is a big giant brain, you know, with a huge a huge number of movies behind him, but uh, he didn't know any more than we did, so <laughs> <laughs> Well, Kelly Kelly are yeah. you know, as is our of course resident super Steven Spielberg fan. Yeah. I think that's putting it mildly. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised that Steven Spielberg uh, really really was behind the hip hippos that much. That's <laughs> that's very interesting. Maybe he thought his kids would like it. <laughs> he has a lot of them. It, it might it might have been uh but like I said nobody really nobody really knew. We didn't know for whatever we started in January of 92, I think the first ones aired in uh, was it September of 93. So we're kind of flying blind for a, you know, for a while. Mm-hmm. No one really knew which ones or, you know, whether the thing, whether the show itself would be any good. So. What was it like meeting with Spielberg and talking to him about the show? What's he like? Uh, he, he was. He was very rare. You know, he, he would come up with ideas, but, but he never insisted that you put them in there. In other words, he'd, he'd throw them out like anybody else in the room. And, you know, if, if it was a good one and we could get it in, we would. And if not, he didn't call up and say, where's my idea? Uh, he was, he was great Mm. that way. And he would, uh, I mean, here he'd be out. He used to make movies in threes. Uh, so, when we started, he was in the middle of another three, which was like Hook, uh, Jurassic Park, and Schindler's List. So we'd get faxes from him from Poland, and he'd be, oh, really love that episode. I mean, he, you know, he's just <laughs> amazing. You know, he's, he's, you know, just it would really boost morale. Uh, and and because the studio wanted to do business with him, they were willing to spend money on animation like. Uh, like a comet's heading for the earth. It was just amazing. Uh, so uh, he was great. And, and he kept a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people off our backs uh, as far as, you know, because if he said he liked it, what, what's somebody else going to say? So <laughs> he, he was great that way. But mostly in those meetings, Tom, Tom did most of the talking or Gene McCurdy. And, uh, you know, we just sat there and smiled and nodded and, <laughs> Try not, try not to embarrass ourselves. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you one more. One more Steven Spielberg thing. He, you know, his offices were over on Universal, and uh, they used to call uh, they used to call his uh, suite of offices Taco Bell because it was done up in a southwestern style. Mm-hmm. But they would they would pack people into meeting rooms, and they were these meeting rooms with thick furniture, and they would have. Uh, coffee bars set out and danishes and everything else like that. And then they would take Steven Spielberg and they would bring him in from room to room. It was like a uh, creative Jiffy Lube. You know, he'd go into one and he'd talk marketing for some movie and he'd go into another one and he'd talk uh, pre-production for another film. Then he'd come in and he'd talk to us. And then he'd go down the hall and he'd talk to a couple of writers. 
it was just amazing. They'd run him around and maximize his time. <laughs> oh, wow. That's that's so interesting. Yeah, it's not funny, but it's interesting. <laughs> it's, it's something I did not know, so there you go. <laughs> Well, it's probably still to this day very much run that way. He's such a busy guy. Do you have a favorite character or set of characters working on the the show? I really liked uh, I really liked uh, Pinky and the Brain actually, and I, I liked Slappy too, mostly because it was Sherry doing that, and I tried to think of interesting things to make her say. Yeah, those were, the, the Slappy ones especially were, you know, just some of my favorite. Slappy cartoons are the ones that you you wrote. Whether it was you or Sherry writing for Slappy, it's, it seems like <laughs> those are always the some of the, the better ones out there. Yeah, like you understood her better. And you were actually a voice in, in Justice for Slappy, right? Yes, yeah. I think so. that was the first voice I did on Animaniacs. Nice. Were there any other characters that you voiced yeah. on Animaniacs? I don't believe so. I think that was it, and uh, I was I was so glad to just be writing. You know, I didn't I didn't think I had. I remember when they told us we would get uh, royalties for uh, songs because we didn't get we didn't get royalties for the writing. It was just work for hire. But they said you'd get uh, BMI or uh, ASCAP royalties if you write a song. And boy, everything I did turned into a light opera. Once I heard that, <laughs> they told me to cool it, cool it a little bit, you know, but, but, I, but I thought, wow, what a great deal. <laughs> Mailbox money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there is a, a question here from uh, one of our listeners here uh, that it actually talks about not Animaniacs, not Freakazoid uh, either, but Malik here uh, has a question about the Sylvester and Tweety mysteries. Uh, he wanted to know, because, uh, of course, this is, we can say it's related, because, of course, the Sylvester and Tweety mysteries uh, uh, were on Kids WB, and, uh, you know, within that block of Animaniacs, Freakazoid, Pinky in the Brain, etc. But he says the first season was comprised of 13 22-minute episodes, and I found that really interesting when I first saw the show a couple of years back. And uh, he... Uh, he said that's uh, the, the episode A Chip Off the Old Castle is one of his favorites, and uh, Mr. McCann wrote that himself. He basically just wants to know, what was the writing process like on Sylvester and Tweety Mysteries? Was that, I guess, similar to uh, Animaniacs and uh, Freakazoid, or was that uh, kind of a different setup? No, it was pretty uh, pretty similar. Uh, Tom Minton was uh, running the show. Uh, I think uh, uh, the Cahills uh, were story editing, uh, and they, you know, they were fine. They, uh, you know, and the fact that it was a classic cartoon character, I, I really enjoyed that. Any opportunity I had to to write for those, I thought was a was a real blessing to be part of that, mm-hmm. you know, part of that legacy. But yeah, it was it was fine. I just uh, I don't know why I got. Well, I only got one of those, but uh, yeah, it just happened. I, I'm glad I had the opportunity. I got a couple. I did a few Sylvester and Sweetie Mysteries, but yeah, they were fine. They were, you know, <laughs> nothing painful about Animaniacs or, <laughs> you know, working over there <laughs> compared to what I had later on. So Yes. Well, let's talk briefly about Freakazoid. Uh, we already talked a little bit about it, but 
you had quite a big hand in the production of Freakazoid and, and writing uh, those some of those episodes. What are, what are some of your memories about working on Freakazoid? Of course, it was too short-lived, only two seasons. But uh, what, what can you tell us about how what it was like to work on that show? Yeah, it just uh, uh, the the voice recording sessions were were just some of the funniest fun times I ever had. Uh, we'd get all those all those people in there. We'd get Ricardo Montalban and Ed Asner and everyone in there, and uh, we'd get the whole cast in at once. We wouldn't do it a la carte. We'd get them all sitting in there so they could sort of play off each other. But it was just so much fun uh, doing that. And then the editing sessions, Al Breitenbacher was our editor. He doesn't get enough credit. He was uh, had a real eye for uh, for where the laugh was, and he was a good musician too. He did the uh, the Animaniacs suite, uh, the last uh, Animaniacs bit, mm. uh, where they did did a bunch of the bunch of episodes put together with all the music from there. It was a couple of minutes long, but it was really a uh, great tribute the show but yeah he was a fantastic guy to work with and those were always a lot of fun Mm -hmm. and of course you got to voice freakazoids well dexter douglas's dad douglas douglas here we have a splendid example of hominid near man Oh, by golly, can you imagine not walking upright? All hunched over like a little bunny? Honey, I'm frightened. Relax, Peach Face. People like that don't exist anymore. <laughs> if they did, the government would make them wear special pants. <laughs> yeah, it, it, and Hero Boy. And Hero Boy? Mm-hmm. Wait, so you were, you, were, you were the one that was... Wait, you, you got to voice Hero Boy going, ah, ah, da, 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 all that stuff? Yeah. That was a wow. You know, they, I got the. They said, "Play to your strengths." So <laughs> that that's quite impressive. I did, but I would not have pegged you for hero boy. That is. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know what we yeah, need to do fun. now. If we need John to to be on the show again, we'll just shout out "Hero Boy," and then he'll come flying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I must succeed. <laughs> there, he there we are. <laughs> I, did, I did the song. I did the song for that too. Um, uh, the Hero Boy song. <laughs> Hero Boy. Hero Boy. Hero Boy. That is I. I must succeed. I must succeed! It's just, it's just such a, such a crazy show. I mean, did, when it came to things like, I mean, obviously that was uh, influenced by Astro Boy, I believe is the character's name. Right. Um, when it came to references to shows like that from the, from the fifties, from the sixties, and and so on, or or even before that. I know when it comes to me, I, I have Animaniacs. Part of me like introduces kids to that because I say this was something I liked when I was a kid, and maybe you'll like it too. Was there ever a sense in writing when you were uh, putting in references to I don't know the Marx Brothers or 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 Astro Boy or things like that that you kind of wanted kids to 
to check those things out? Is that one of the things that the, do you think the writers used to do or intentionally, or was that just kind of an unconscious thing? I think it just happened. You know, you reach for whatever you remember, um, in something to draw on, something to inspire you, something to model some of the action off after. And we were mostly focused just on the episode at hand, trying to get that as good as we could and out the door. So, but yeah, I guess in time, you know, it does, you know, you do become, you know, you do leave it or at least, you know, you can spark interest in, uh, characters and shows gone by, you know, just by, just by the references. Well, it definitely worked for me. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I would have seen uh, as many uh, Marx Brothers films, uh, you know, in the the following years if it weren't for things like Animaniacs uh, showing me uh, that. I mean, we, we had a whole discussion, a brief discussion with Maurice LaMarche about Orson Welles and how, you know, my dad walked into the room while we were watching Animaniacs and started laughing hysterically. And I said, what? And he says, that's Orson Welles. It's Orson Welles. And I said, who's Orson Welles? <laughs> so it turned into a whole discussion of War of the Worlds from there and everything like that. So uh, um, you never know how it's going to just kind of trigger uh, an interest in, in additional things. So that's fantastic. All right. Well, let's go ahead before we wrap things up. Let's go ahead and talk about, John, what you have been working on. More recently, uh, and Kelly, there's a what question do we have from one of our uh, listeners? Okay, Sal on Twitter wants to know: Have you worked on anything recently? They thought you, they saw your name on a Tom and Jerry recently, but they could be wrong. Oh no that that wasn't me. Um, <laughs> there's a different John no, McCann. <laughs> there, there is another. John McCann, he's an actor um, based out of New York, and I used to get his phone calls, and I actually <laughs> tried to take his jobs once in a while, but they, they sort of knew better. I'd get calls from, like, you know, Bell Telephone in New York. Are you going to be in town pretty soon? <laughs> well, what, uh, how, much, how much are we talking here? You know, <laughs> It, and I think I looked but, you up on. I think I typed in John P. McCann on YouTube, and there's some weird survivalist man who's written some books as well. That uh, I thought, oh my gosh, what happened to to John? He's he's, he's he has this long beard, and he doesn't look the same at all. And, and then I realized, <laughs> oh, it's this weird survivalist man. So you thought I went full on Randy Quaid? Yes, I did. <laughs> I was very concerned for a moment. <laughs> After uh, Freakazoid and uh, Animaniacs, uh, what other shows did you work on? I did, uh, I did these uh, web, uh, web episodes of the classic characters for um, Warner Brothers' fledgling website. Uh, and I did another one for a show called Lobo that we tried to launch as an animated series, but uh, ended up putting on the web. Uh, you know... Uh, didn't really just kind of bounced around. I did uh, uh, Ozzy and Drix and Jimmy Neutron, and I uh, uh, did some series over in Germany. Uh, it was for um, uh, European cable. They do them in do them in English over there. But there were twenty, excuse me, twenty four episodes. I story edited those. I don't know whatever became of them, but uh, 
Well, what else? A bunch of different things. Uh, Tom had that series with uh, PBS called Anim- uh, not An- Animalia. Oh, yes. So, mm. so he it- did a number. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, and I think you did a little bit with Tom with uh, 7D, if I'm not mistaken, right? Did you write one or two episodes of that? Yeah, yeah, I did two of those, and um, Kung Fu Panda, and uh, a few more, uh, some non-union stuff that uh, kept the uh, kept the bill collectors away briefly, <laughs> but... I haven't done anything recently because I, I took official retirement from uh, a TV animation just because I needed the medical benefits. I think that goes in, uh, into an interesting segue we could make into your more recent writings. You've uh, written quite a few books uh, that are available online at uh, Amazon uh, that you can download straight to your Kindle, many of which, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, are incredibly affordable. One of the, the latest ones you've written, Jury Duty, spelled D-O-O-D-Y, by the way, jury duty, um, <laughs> is available for just 99 cents. So there's no reason not to you know, pick up one of John's writings. Now, you use the pen name J.P. Mack. Is there a specific reason why you've, you've moved to the, the J.P. Mack as, uh, as your, your author name? Yes, uh, it fit better on a thumbnail online. <laughs> <laughs> so, short and punchy. And didn't take up too much room. I see. I was just curious about that. But it works. It works. Your most recent ebook is called They Took My Prostate. I just finished uh, reading it a week or so ago. And uh, it's about your journey through your diagnosis, uh, your treatment, and your recovery of uh, prostate cancer. And it's a brutally honest book. I think is what I put down in my in my Amazon review is that it is a brutally honest but incredibly funny book, and it really felt like as I was reading this book, like I was going through this journey with you. Um, whether it was going through, um, you know, just the diagnosis portion and the shock and the and everything like that, but um, also the stress at the time of not having the money. <laughs> to pay for some of these bills that were that were going to uh, happen. So could you just tell us a little bit about that? I mean, what? Uh, why, why did you write the book? Well, I kept notes at the time that I was going through all this, and I didn't think they'd amount to anything. But then I began encountering more guys who had been diagnosed and who had had to have surgery or... Uh, you know, saw the radiation treatment or something. And basically, I mean, if you're a guy, this this could be in your future. So because so many things sort of went sideways with my treatment and my condition, I thought if I wrote this book and you only had a fraction of what I went through, then you might not feel so bad about things. And also you'd know <laughs> that in the end there's hope. Absolutely. And it's, you do it in such a way that it's such a humorous uh, read as well. And, I, you know, looking at the reviews from other uh, uh, people who have been diagnosed with either prostate cancer or I think I even saw some reviews of just cancer in general. They really did find the book 
as a hopeful book as well. I think through that humor that you have, which can be a little dark from time to time in it, it but still at the same time, uh, just it, it brought a ref- I guess you could say it didn't seem as bleak throughout it all. Uh, just somehow it seemed optimistic, I guess. Um, right. In, if you, you know, if a guy, if a guy gets diagnosed and he, and he has to go through uh, what I did and just from my, my straw poll of, of people I've known uh, through that, I, you know, I'll tell you, if you want to, if you want to know something about a, a disease, catch it because you'll end up learning more than you ever thought you'd know. But, uh, people go through it and they, they're, you know, each, each guy seems to respond differently to it. And I was just hoping, you know, because it is a depressing time and it is awful and it does really, uh, you know, strike at your dignity and, you know, just being a guy and, you know, just letting men know that there's, there's a way out and there is, there is a possibility of, of hope and of a decent life afterwards. Absolutely. Um, I have one highlighted uh, section of the book that I, uh, I quite enjoyed as uh, just speaking of uh, strange humor that really uh, stood out. There's a section right here that says, are there drawbacks? I read about one in the weekly world news several years ago in Tokyo, four robot prostatectomy devices activated on their own late at night. They crept from the hospital and assaulted men in Ginza, in the Ginza, removing their mm-hmm. prostates, regardless of condition, need or ability to pay. Afterwards, the devices returned quietly to the hospital before dawn. No one knows why. What, what are you, <laughs> what are you going to do? It's Japan. They marry their sex robots. So anyway, I, I, uh, it's just moments like that, that just made me laugh out loud. Um, you know, uh, speaking just from my own experience as a, as a male, you know, thinking that, you know, prostate cancer might be something that I might have to face as well down the road. Uh, both my grandfather and great grandfather, uh, had, uh, you know, prostate cancer. So it's definitely one of those things that as I read the book, uh, I kind of kept in my back of my head that, you know, hey, if John's going through this and, you know, especially if he's being told, oh, it'll be a simple procedure and then there's complications along the way, that it, it can still turn out okay, especially with the support, uh, as you were saying, from uh, like your wife and things like that, that really uh, that helped you along. Yeah, just to let you know, you are you are at risk um, if it if it runs in your family. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then Afri- African American men catch it just, you know, at a much greater rate for whatever reason. So there are things that can make it more prevalent, but yes, there are, you know, there is a way, there is a way out, and some people just uh, they can they can just be monitored over time, and uh, mine mine just ended up being aggressive, and if they waited too long, I might lose the opportunity to be able to catch it all up front. So I, I had a move, but I, I've met guys who've gone through the exact same thing. They've been home in two days and back to work the next week. So yeah, you know, you take it differently, but it is something to bear in mind as you get older. Absolutely. Well, you hear that Nathan, Nathan's my brother. So mm, yeah, keep that in mind. <laughs> 
well, let's go ahead and, uh, oh, you know, John, before we wrap things up, you know, what we have some other books as well. Uh, what would you like to you like to highlight any of those or tell us about what other writings you have available? Oh, if, if anyone is, uh, you know, has a yen for um, uh, Lovecraftian horror and comedy, two things that rarely go together. <laughs> but I've, I've tried to combine them in uh, uh, Hollow Mass, which is a novel, uh, you know, a story of uh, uh, set. It's sort of a continuation of the old Lovecraft uh, tale of the Dunwich Horror, and it's an updating of it for the 21st century. What happens 100 years later? So it's got magic and monsters and laughs and uh, characters drinking cocktails. So, something something in there for all. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and Lovecraft, uh, that, that must have been one of your influences, because I believe there's a very Lovecraftian monster in Freakazoid as well, I think, in the second season, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know if that had yeah. anything yeah. <laughs> to do. I just saw that. I was like, okay, a Cthulhu's in, in, uh, in uh, <laughs> Freakazoid all of a sudden. This is interesting. Right. He, he sort of surfer Cthulhu. <laughs> And of course, you have your blog as well, writeenough.blogspot.com, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yes. Uh, I I was just thinking today I should have, you know, I should have gone back through there and culled out all the articles I have on, uh, you know, working on Animaniacs or working in animation. They're they're spread out over twelve years worth of posts. But if I get around to it, I should. Pull them all up and, and link them, and I can give you guys a call if you want to let people know. Absolutely. And they can, if there's something I forgot here, I might have written it down there. So, absolutely. And then we'll either you know we can talk about it either on the here on the air or just you know the, through retweets or Facebooks and stuff like that because you have quite a you know you're quite active on your blog, so it's it is uh, something that people should definitely check out and uh, see what's going on here in your own life and uh, and things like that. So, John, I don't know if you've heard, but apparently Animaniacs is getting a reboot or revival. Um, do, you, do you have any thoughts on that? I don't believe you've been asked yet, right, to return. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. I, I would be surprised if anybody is uh, who worked on it. I think it helps to think of it as old Animaniacs, which what we're talking about, and new Animaniacs, which remains to be seen what that'll be but mm-hmm. it um i think a lot of people think it's going to be like a, a tribute band where uh you know it's a uh, if, if you like nirvana and they're bringing the band back and they're saying well we're going to have more nirvana and you go to see them and uh, they have a tuba section and a didgeridoo and a guy blowing <laughs> hair into a jug and you say well it's it's called nirvana but it, it sure sounds different that's probably what you're going to get yeah, the song titles are the same, you know, just <laughs> a different right, version of lithium. Or... Right, they they can't they can't make it the way it was um, because they're not going to spend that kind of money. They just aren't. They're not going to hire a forty piece orchestra. Um, you know, they're they just aren't. And the fact is that you have a lot of overhead now. You're going to have Netflix, Warner Brothers, and DreamWorks, uh, you know, wanting to wanting to have a say in what's put out there. So it's uh, 
And then I think, didn't they hire the guy, uh, somebody from Family Guy to... Uh, yeah. Yes, well, Leslie, Leslie Wilde. Yes, well, Leslie Wilde is his name. Right, so it would stand to reason that he would hire Family Guy writers mm-hmm. to do that. So I think if you like Family Guy, you're probably going to like the new reboot. Because mm-hmm. I think their goal will be to find a new audience uh, in the 21st century. People who maybe know of but aren't all that familiar with the old Animaniacs, but uh, like the new take of the new one. And then maybe the Family Guy fans will come over because they like the sensibility. So I think it'll be it'll be something other. It'll be something a little different uh, than than what than what we've seen. Mm-hmm. But we'll always have we'll always have Paris. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They can't take away the originals, so it's like right, you know, exactly. Yeah, that 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 remain that is. So whatever the new one is, um, I would be cautiously optimistic. All right, and coming up in a couple of weeks, uh, there's going to be the the Freakicon uh, that's going to be coming out are are you going to be involved in any way are you going to be uh just uh kind of watching from afar as the rest of us are yeah i i may be with you guys um paul's paul said he might come over and and shoot some stuff and they would insert it in there but it's mostly paul and tom who are running with that so it should be a lot of fun you know should be great all right. And, uh, of course, the Freaky Con right there is uh, March 15th, and that's on Facebook. And uh, people can find out about that on uh, uh, Facebook.com slash FreakyCon, I think, is the website for that. Yeah. Oh, John, are you going to submit a uh, fanboy uh, video to Tom? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, think, I, think, I think I might tip my hand somehow. Yeah, well, I think that would be pretty fun. Uh, <laughs> you could win. Hard to speak <laughs> Hard to sneak my stuff by them, but <laughs> but you're right. It could work. It could work. <laughs> well, John, thank you so much uh, for being on the show once again. Uh, it's been an honor having you on. Uh, again, I know this has been a you know, quite a, a thrill from many of our uh, audience members as well, uh, who like listening in and uh, have so many fond memories of the episodes that you've written over the years and. Uh, Again, just thank you so much for being on the show. It was quite an honor. Well, I'm delighted, and I'm I'm glad you guys are, are doing what you doing what you do and keeping the memory alive. I think that's I think that's great. gives me a gives me a good feeling. Oh, thank you so much. And yeah. uh, our audience, once again, you can find uh, John's writings on Amazon under JP Mac, and uh, check out his blog, writeenough.blogspot.com. And with that, John, thank you so much for being on the Animaniacast, and uh, we will talk to you. Uh, we'll talk to you later. You bet you will. Good luck, guys. Well, let's go ahead and get over to our contact information. Kelly, where can people get in contact with you? They can find me on Twitter at Yoda Princess, Y-O-D-A-P-R-N-C-S-S, or email me, Kelly, at BigShinyRobot.com. And Nathan, what about you? I'm in L.A., folks, uh, if you're in the area. But <laughs> if you're not, you can try finding me on Twitter, uh, JangoFT, that's me. All right, and as for the Animani cast, we are on Twitter, we are on Facebook, 
We are on Instagram, and you can always email us at animaniacast at retrozap.com. Hey, wait a minute. Speaking of retrozap.com, you should head on over there. You know why? Because every day there's something going on over there. It is insane. There's tons of fantastic articles to read, and there's also fantastic podcasts that you should be listening to as well, such as the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, ARGcast, Beltway Banthas, Brews and Blasters, Classic Marvel Star Wars Comics, The Deuce Cast Movie Show, Dork Lair, Dune Cast, Green Justice and Arrow Podcast, Kanata's Castle, The Sandcrawler Podcast, Scarlet Velocity, A Flash Podcast, Skywalking Through Neverland, Starships, Sabres, and Scoundrels, Talking Apes TV, Techno Retro Dads, Terrigan Dreams, The Trade Federation, Warp Trails, and We Know Nothing. My goodness, the podcast network at RetroZap is huge right now, so lots of different franchises for you to check it out. And in fact, one of the easiest ways to listen to every one of those podcasts is to simply go onto Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts and simply subscribe to the RetroZap feed. You can get every single one of those podcasts delivered straight to your device, and you can listen at your leisure. It's fantastic. By the way, you can also go to animaniacast.com and see a full listing of our previous shows, as well as subscribing to us on whatever podcasting you have, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, uh, whatever. And so, for Nathan and Kelly, this is Joey saying, Good night, everybody! Good night, everybody! Good night, everybody! This podcast is not endorsed by Warner Brothers or Amblin Entertainment and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Animaniacs, the Warner Brothers logo, all names, pictures, and sounds of the Animaniacs characters or any other Animaniacs-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Warner Brothers, Amblin Entertainment, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of the Animaniacs unless otherwise indicated. According to legend, General Grievous was known to boast of the number of lightsabers he had acquired from the bodies of his slain Jedi enemies. Grievous was the first in a long tradition of collectors of rare items. A tradition that continues to this day on the RetroZap podcast known as the Dork Lair. Dork Lair. Banded together across the television dial are the four greatest superhero podcasts on the internet. Green Justice and Arrow Podcast, Scarlet Velocity, a Flash Podcast, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Case Files, and Terrigen Dreams and Inhumans Podcast. Join super friends Jovial J and Jedi Schwa weekly as they provide commentary and discussion on your favorite heroes. Only on RetroZap.com. <laughs>